Hey, Brittany. What? Got some good news. What's up? We got a new sponsor. Get out! You know, sometimes as fundraisers, we just need somebody to sit with us, help narrow our focus, really figure out what to prioritize. Absolutely. We are all stretched so thin and we just don't have time for it all. And that's why you should call our friend Cindy at In The Know, because that's exactly what she's going to do. She's going to coach you through it, help you strategize about your fundraising, and just reduce some of that stress. And I feel like when you have someone like Cindy helping you, it just makes the fundraising work for you. And we can have more fun, we can raise more money, and ultimately, we can help more people. Absolutely. So check her out. You can find out more at inthenowllc.com slash reframe. That's in the know, K-N-O-W, com slash reframe. Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Uh, let's see. This is getting released September 14, I believe. And in full transparency, this is the second episode we're recording back to back. Yes, we are recording this August 31st so that we can both have Labor Day off. Um, so hopefully it's still relevant in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I mean, we used to do this all the time pre-pandemic and then the whole world went to shit and now things change so fast that we have to do it week by week because like you said, it could be irrelevant. I don't know if you're ready for this harsh truth, but we have been recording in the pandemic longer than we were before the pandemic. That's crazy. I can't believe that tomorrow is September. I know. It's it's seriously blowing my mind that, like, the summer's done. Well, and it makes me think there's certain things, and don't ask me what they are because I can't think of them in the moment, but there's certain things that I've put on hold <laughs> since the pandemic, and now I realize that's, that's ridiculous because it's been six months, and it's – Yeah. You can't put anything on hold until this is, quote, unquote, over. I'm having such an interesting relationship to clothing right now. Mm. Uh, like I was going through my closet this weekend, looking at all of these beautiful dresses that I haven't touched in months. Yeah. The last time I got dressed up was for your gala in February. March. March? March. February. First week in March. Yeah. Like the last weekend we could do anything in March. That is the last time I ever did anything of like a super social nature. Right. Yeah. And I'm going through all of them. And part of me is like, well, I haven't worn them in so long. I should get rid of them. But I'm like, well, this is a weird year. (laughs) I might wear them again. I know it. Well, and in full, 
full disclosure and full transparency, I'll admit that when um, the pandemic started and we quarantined, I participated in a little bit of retail therapy online. Oh, yeah, for sure. And actually bought a lot of clothes for my summer wardrobe, you know, clothes that still have the tags on them now as of soon to be September 1st, because it's not like I didn't wear to wear them. Oh, no. Yeah, I got this, like, really nice, like, linen skirt and linen tank top blouse thingy and shoot, like, platform sandals. I haven't worn that shit. Right? What did we say the other day? Our laundry is all... It's it's all, like, workout clothes. Because that's all we're living in. 100%. Okay, real question. Are we... Or because we're always working out. Uh, that's what I'm. <laughs> that's what I'm telling myself when I do my laundry. I, I'm like, look at this. Look at all of these yoga pants because you're killing it every day. Some days I get dressed in the morning thinking, okay, if I if I like wear a sports bra and my workout clothes, I will exercise today. And then it's like eight o'clock and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, oh, that didn't happen. <laughs> Again. I was talking to my mother-in-law the other day. I don't know. She might kill me if she knew I tell this story. But she, like most of us, is all remote, though she works remotely even when it's not a pandemic. And she was saying she was on a phone call and... Like the one day, she always gets up and gets dressed every morning very early. But the one day she didn't do that, they said everybody needs to turn their camera on. Oh, no. So she's rushing to like put a a top on at least, right? So it doesn't look like she'd done her hair and everything. She just still had, I don't know, maybe had pajamas on or workout clothes. (laughs) And so she throws something on just to turn her camera on. And then decides that she doesn't wear, want to wear that later, so she changes. And so, like, the next time she's on the camera, she's got in a different shirt. And I was thinking of how many times people probably do that. You oh, know, I've sure. done that where I've, I'm like, oh, i got to jump on this call real quick. I'm just going to throw this shirt on or whatever. And then, like, I take a shower later, and I'm in a totally different outfit yeah. the next time we have a video call. <laughs> And by different outfit, I mean just different pair of yoga pants and oh, for sure. nice blouse. Yeah. A friend of mine was saying that she uh, she had a similar situation where she was running late, had to get on this call. So she threw a dress on over the clothes she was wearing because it was going to be like 15, 20 minutes, just get on and off. But at some point she got up <laughs> No, and the dress was like tucked into her yoga pants. <laughs> I was like, who, oh. who was on the call? She was like, it's all men. I was like, oh, they didn't notice. <laughs> no, they definitely didn't notice. That's hysterical. If you've had a wardrobe flub during a Zoom call or a Zoom meeting, I want to hear about it. <laughs> I just want to know, when are we burning our bras and high heels? Yeah, right? Can we just, can we do that now so we don't even have to think about it when the pandemic's done? I don't know. I have some shoes I really love. 
Really? High heels that like you enjoy wearing? I mean, I don't physically enjoy it while I'm wearing it, but I emotionally feel like, damn, I look good. (laughs) I got a new pair of shoes like the week before the pandemic. So I've worn them twice. And once was like to the grocery store with yoga pants on, but I was going to wear my beautiful Rothy's because I just wanted to wear them. Oh, that's right. I forgot about those. You did buy those at the very beginning. Yeah, right in March. Because you saw them where? Well, I I had a pair in black, and then they came out with this beautiful cornflower blue, and I had to have them. Mm, that's your color. Yeah. Yeah, like looking through my dresses, half of them are blue. And I, I will say, part of that is because I spent many years working in child welfare and child abuse the ribbon color is blue, so I'd always have a blue dress for our events, but I have a lot of blue dresses. <laughs> That's so funny. There, I have a friend group that gets together monthly, and we were talking this last month about all dressing up in evening wear <laughs> <laughs> for our socially distanced happy hour in someone's backyard. Yes. Just so we had a reason to get dressed up. Totally. And then when it came down to it, you know, it's like day of or within an hour. And one of us has a small baby and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm running late. And this and this and this is, and oh, by the way, are we dressing up? Because I don't have time. And everybody's like, oh no, I don't have time. Nope. (laughs) We're not doing that. No time for that mess. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Anywho, <laughs> that was that was a lengthy diversion uh, from what we're actually talking about today, which is drum roll. If I knew how to make a drum roll sound, I think we now have like <laughs> three or four clips of you doing that. <laughs> it just sounds like you're saying the word "juge" a bunch of times. <laughs> At least I'm consistent. <laughs> True. <laughs> we are going to be talking about uh, political fundraising, political donations, and the impacts it has on philanthropy at large. Because um, for those of you who don't know, our election is in less than 60 days. Holy crap. Yeah. As of I'm the release, to be clear. Not as of actual real life today. Um, that makes me want to throw up a little bit. I know. It's so quick. I mean, I remember where I was, um, like at the last election and like one that happened a couple elections ago where it didn't turn out in my favor and just how crappy I felt and despondent and like the world was going to crumble. And so I worry about that for November 4th. I I was thinking about that, too. I've been old enough to vote in four presidential elections. And in two of them, I cried hysterically. (laughs) Yeah. And the first one that you cried at, doesn't it seem like NBD at this point? Like, it's no big deal compared to what we're dealing with now. Oh, my God. No. Yeah. Um, So uh, those of you who maybe haven't done anything, please... Please come help (laughs) because as we've said before, and to maintain consistency, fuck Trump. 
Yeah, we're just going to go ahead and give the disclaimer right now that um, we are fully biased and partial to one side, and that would be the anti-Trump side. So we're going to be talking about that today, and if that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen if you're a Trump supporter, maybe you'll pick up a nugget or two, um, but just fair warning. Yeah, there, there's no equivocating on this. We're not going to talk about the other sides of this debate. We're really not. No. We're really not. No time or energy for that. So. But it seems very apropos to be talking about fundraising and politics, considering that, you know, we're going into the last two months of the election, pre-election. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and this is when both sides are really trying to gain fundraising momentum. Yep. Um, I don't know that I realize the size, scope, scale of our political fundraising in the United States. It's fucking ridiculous how much money it's, goes into politics. It's huge. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I, yeah, I was, uh, I was talking to one of my friends who lives in Canada who shared that the maximum length of a campaign there for any office is 50 days. What? That means that our campaigning wouldn't have even fucking started in America. That's crazy. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine that. No. 50 days. You yeah. know, our only, and I, and I don't know if this helps or hurts, you know, our party, but this whole pandemic that's happening and not being able to be out on the trail and campaigning and very public and, um, has made this campaign kind of seem a little underground. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so, I, you know, I'm still involved in uh, one of our local races. And even though she won the primary, we're still pushing to the general because we want people to vote the entire ballot, right? So many people check off president, maybe even U.S. Senate, but then don't get to all of the local elections. Um, and we're also a state that has a ton of ballot initiatives this year. So it'll be a meaty ballot which can just turn off people but we need people to be voting the whole thing and so we've been talking a lot about what does get out the vote look like this year when we can't have rallies you know lit drop looks different we're not door knocking how do we right. get people engaged in this political process because it's so fucking important right now well and i'm just gonna say we live in colorado we have mail-in voting um and that's been you know, new. I've lived in places before where we didn't have that. And I think it's really nice, specifically for the reasons that you just talked about when you have a meaty ballot, to be able to sit at home and talk about it with your family or, you know, really kind of look at each one mm -hmm. and take the time to research it before, oh, yeah. you know, placing your vote. So I just want to put a little shout out for that and... You know, just say that I, I really enjoy having that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I voted in one election where I actually went to a polling place, stood in a little booth, you know, wrote it there. I've either always had an absentee ballot because I wasn't living where I was voting or I've lived in Colorado now for 12 years and we're all mail-in. And I can't imagine, right? Like I spend hours prepping my ballot. And I know right. I'm probably a bit of an outlier. Not everybody's spending that much time. But to know, I mean, the ballot initiatives, the way they're written, you it is so hard to know if you're actually voting for what you believe in or not. Right. 
Exactly. And so, yeah, you, you need time to go through them. And like the judges, you're not hearing about judges being out politicking. And yet we have right. this confirmation process. And, you know, it. yeah, big fan of Malin. All that to say. So let's also just go on record and say, regardless of, you know, who you're voting for, just vote. Just fucking vote. Just fucking vote. Tell your friends, tell your family. Like, seriously, we need everybody on November 3rd texting at least five people. Did you get your ballot in? Have you gone to your polling place? Just fucking vote. I've heard um, Michelle Obama has that... um, that initiative, it's called, oh, I'm going to forget it right in the moment, but we can put it in the show notes. But it's essentially like get out and vote. Yeah. Um, and they talk about creating voting pods. Oh. So like get your pod together of people that, you know, choose, like you're saying, your favorite five friends, ten friends, create a voting pod and just make sure that everybody is staying informed and that most importantly, they're all casting their vote. I didn't even realize I was so in alignment with Michelle Obama. That's what I was doing on primary day. I know you got one of those texts. <laughs> Did you put your ballot yeah, in? Yeah, I know. It's June 30th. It's due by 7. Get it in. <laughs> Great minds think alike. I know. Me and Michelle Obama were just like right there. <laughs> Sharing a brain. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But we are talking about fundraising too. And yes. we're talking about philanthropy. Yeah. In respect to politics and how it plays a role, and it plays a big role. Yeah. So first question, Brittany, have you ever given to a candidate's campaign? I have. Mm. Have you this election cycle? No. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I know. (laughs) Wow, that's some real honesty there. But you are not alone. Um, I'm looking at some data right now. Um, Followthemoney.org, which um, includes data from the National Institute on Money and Politics and the Campaign Finance Institute. Um, And as of right now, for state elections, money is really trailing behind where we have been in the past. They don't have year-to-date numbers, so I can't know exactly. But in 2018, um, nationwide, 6.1% billion was contributed for state elections and right now we're just over 1 billion really yeah now for federal elections we're trailing only by a little bit in comparison to 2016 um Uh so 2016 was 5.3 billion 5.4 this year at 4.9 so i i would guess that we're going to hit or exceed that by the end of this election cycle um but yeah i think people are are thinking a little differently about where their money goes in terms of politics this year. Well, and truth be told, I probably will. Odds are that I will before November 3rd, Mm -hmm. which again points to the fact that these next couple of months are really critical in fundraising in terms of fundraising. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's a shit ton of money. Shit ton of money. You're using billions. Billions of dollars going into these elections, um, which I find very disconcerting because, mind you, this money is to is going to get people elected. It's not actually to do the work that will come after they're elected. <laughs> right. 
you know, the important work that's going to like help people make our communities stronger, safer, better, more equitable, et cetera, et cetera. This is just to get the people in office who we think have values that better align with us. And we're spending billions of dollars to do that. I mean, I wonder if it's like this one-two punch or like one-ten punch of, well, this candidate, I mean, I agree with them on all these different issues. So if I just give to this candidate, they will then help further these 10 issues rather than me just giving individually to organizations that support those issues. I think that's a fascinating concept. Um, I see your eyebrows moving. Well, so we have some data about how political giving impacts general philanthropy, like meaning philanthropy to nonprofits. Um, and this data is a bit older. I couldn't find anything for the 2016 election, which is what I was really interested in. So this is from 2012. When people gave to some sort of political campaign or political cause, they were actually more likely to increase their giving to local nonprofits. Really? Yes. I find that so surprising. Right? I would think that it would be the reverse. Mm-hmm. And that's what most people do, which is stuck in that scarcity mindset. Like we have one set pool, each of us, to give to everything, which we just, it, it's not true. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would just assume that, especially during election year, when people are giving more money to political fundraising efforts, that they're using more of their philanthropic um, bank on that and therefore leaving less for individual nonprofits. But you're telling me that's not true. That's not true. Um, And this is one of the key points that we wanted to discuss in this because there is this assumption. It's an election year, so my nonprofit is going to get less money. Not necessarily the case. Um, You know, there are some breaks based on – your income level, your age, you know, we see some different donor behavior. But overall, in between 2011 to 2012, 2012 being um, an election year, political donors gave 0.9% more to the charities that they support. Huh. So I really don't know anything about this. Do you get the same tax break giving a political donation that you do to like your local human services organization? No, you don't get any. That's what I thought. Yeah. Right. So again, promoting the fact that we know that those tax benefits don't actually drive giving. Exactly. You know, in this report, this is from Blackbot, and I'll make sure that it's in the show notes. Um, Of course, they've got some theories about why this is. Um, But I think Probably, for me, the most obvious thing is if I'm engaged in politics to the point where I'm going to be giving, I'm probably engaged in the issues in my community that I'm recognizing are impacted by politics, and so I'm giving to those as well. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, they even have a breakdown by, like, subsector, and this is where it hits me the most. Political donors from 2011 to 2012, again, gave 14.5% more to human service organizations. Wow. Yeah. Wraps it all up right there for me. What, do you, I don't know if you have this information. I'm really curious if you look at um, political donations 
what, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, what socioeconomic groups like give the most? Mm-hmm. You got that information? Well, I've got a little bit. So I've got, again, that percentage change in giving by annual income. And this is the one that I, I love the most. Um, okay. So for households that made 150K plus, their charitable giving went up 0.9% as political donors. Um, non-political donors actually gave 2% less. For the 100 to 150 band, both political and non-political donors gave less, about 1%, 1 to 2%. Okay. That's the one band <clears throat> where both types of donors went Dropped. down. Yeah. Between 50 and 99 went up 0.7%. But here's the one that I love. Household income of zero to 49,000. Yes. Those political donors also giving to nonprofits gave 5.3% more. I had a feeling. Yep. Yep. That That's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I think is really interesting about political philanthropy is that it's the one type of philanthropy that's actually for on public record. Exactly. Yes. So you can look up any person and if they have given to a political entity, you'll see it, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Why is that? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, there are a lot of laws, but it, it's really about transparency. But we don't get that transparency with, with anything else. We don't see if they give to certain religious organizations. We don't see if they give to the NRA. We don't see if they give to their alma mater or different schools or universities. Well, there are just so many more laws about campaign finance. Um, yeah. And also so many ways around it. I mean... We have so many now institutions that have been created that allow for people to be giving more to their candidates, even above uh, their the traditional limits. Um, but yeah, it's it's a different ball game, which I think is so interesting. Um, you know, we we talk a lot about donor privacy in nonprofits, um, and you know, we've certainly we've seen a shift even in the last few years of people not publishing their donor names and. Uh, you know, really just taking that privacy piece very seriously. When in political fundraising, it is so the opposite. Right. Yeah. There. Um, for any of you who don't know, you you can go and look up anybody who's given to a specific campaign. Here in Colorado, we've got a a real robust database, so you can see exactly who gave at what level. Um, and it's I find it fascinating, but I'm a geek like that. But this is just another example of how, I'm trying to think of how to word this. We talked about this in um, the episode about big philanthropy Mm -hmm. and how people with a lot of wealth can actually change outcomes because they have the means and capacity to do so. Yep. And I mean, politics is such a prime example of that. Totally. Yep. And it's completely unfair in the sense that there are some really great candidates out there, but if they don't have that networking to get the big money, then they're dead in the water. Yeah. 
Well, and I think this too is where our political systems need to take pause, like your uh, local party leadership, um, your state party leadership, where they actually have a lot of say in shifting that. They can ensure that some of these candidates get more access, that they get more publicity, that they get in front of the right donors. Um, but it, that's that's a big shift in the way business has been done, and so it's not happening as rapidly. But what we saw in the primaries was a ton of grassroots candidates rising up, even though they didn't have the money that their opponents did. But they had this groundswell of support that carried them through to win the primary. And that's something that really Obama pioneered oh, in yeah. his campaigning. Where it was the $5 donors that really right. carried him through. Mm-hmm. I know. That was so cool. And I'm great. I'm so glad to see that that has continued um, for other candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Another interesting data point, this is from a different study, um, but this shows kind of the backside of that, the, the not so great side. Um, this study put out by uh, Brigham Young showed that in counties that had higher political competition. So I think we'd probably think of them more as like our purple counties um, where there's just more conflict between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, Their charitable giving is less. Oh, why is that? Mm -hmm. Again, they kind of posit some ideas as to why that could be. Um, And, I don't know how much I agree with all of them, but I think one one of the pieces is if you are distrusting that an organization has the same values as you, is going to push forward programming the way you want it to happen, you're less likely to give. So if you're in a county that has higher political conflict, my guess is some of that distrust is going to lead into your nonprofits. Huh. That's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And of course, that hits harder in election years. So when they're feeling that political competition, there's more likely to be a decline. So this is actually stating um, a circumstance or circumstances where nonprofit organizations are um, hurting when there is uh, politics happening within their community. Yeah, and basically, as that county becomes more red or more blue, giving increases. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. We've talked about this before about um, also trends, philanthropic trends Mm -hmm. um, on each side, like more conservative donors versus more liberal donors Mm -hmm. and how there's that difference as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I I know that was something that we touched on with Vu, too, about how, I mean, he he really sees, and I agree with him, that, like, the way that Republicans fund their their causal charities with multi-year massive general operating grants, that allows Mm -hmm. them to be much more sustainable and solid organizations. Yeah. 
Now, yeah. whether the uh, New York Attorney General can shut them down is something entirely different. Holler. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So this brings us, I think, to the Trump bump. Did you all experience the Trump ba- bump? I can't even say it anymore. Trump bump back in 2016. Let me think to where I was in 2016. Oh, don't think too hard. It'll get real sad real fast. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we did. Yes, we did. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, um, right after Trump was elected, we saw a real increase in philanthropy and volunteerism to local nonprofits, especially those who were most likely to be impacted by him and his shitty ass policies. (laughs) Um, but what we actually know is that that happens regularly. We saw it at an extreme rate when Trump was elected. Um, I think because there was so much fear about all of the, I mean, he just spouted off about so many different populations throughout his campaign that it was really, really scary, but we see these rage donations happen. So after a presidential election, um, organizations that are more kind of conservative in nature, will get additional donations if a Democrat was elected and vice versa. Yeah, I find that so interesting. Um, in fact, particularly organizations that, you know, when this Trump bump happened, this latest Trump bump happened in 2016, um, sort of the LGBTQ organizations, immigrant organizations, they saw a big jump, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, so like I said, this was the most significant we've ever seen. So more, I don't want to call them liberal because it's not a political thing. It's just, exactly. you know, nonprofits that could be impacted negatively because of him being a shithole. Shithole, asshole, shithead, all of those things. <laughs> Put it, just make it one word. Yep. Yeah, yeah, shithole. Um, they saw an increase of 155% in Wow, that's significant really, really significant. Whereas more conservative based organizations saw a 9% decline. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, so we're talking about donations and we talked about volunteers, but I've even seen a bump in, um, those coming to work for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So I know I have one coworker who owned her own business but after the 2016 election, felt like she had to do something and use her powers for good. Totally. And so um, entered the nonprofit sector on a part-time basis so that she could do some work for the cause that she really believed in and then still maintain her own business on the side. Yeah, actually, we saw that a ton of people leaving for-profit jobs to join the social sector because of exactly what you're talking about there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think uh, all of this, everything that we've talked about today, it's just really eye opening. I mean, yes, we all know that on a conceptual level of how politics affects um, the sector, but when you start to hear it, then you, you really start to recognize all the ripple effects of it. Yeah. I think it goes back to like our, our episode on advocacy. Like you can't parse out, the social sector and nonprofits from everything else because it's all intermixed. It all impacts itself and each other. So if, if the worst were to happen this November 3rd, and I'm not even going to utter it because it makes me sick to my stomach thinking about it. Don't say it. Don't say it. If that were to happen, 
I think all of us would be looking to nonprofits to like, how do we protect these people? How right. do we ensure that we can survive like le- legitimately, like have life at the end of this because we're in the pandemic and people are dying and we don't have policies and legislative action that's protecting them. And all of these people have actually lost protections over the last four years. And how are we going to literally survive the next four? Yes. And hopefully that's absolutely not what happens. And hopefully it's a moot point. Yeah. And really the next two months is going to determine that. So do something. Vote. Vote, get your friends to vote, get out there so that we don't have to be having that discussion in November. Get your 18-year-olds to vote. Yes. Do you remember the first time you voted? I do, yeah. Like, how cool was that feeling? And do you know what? The first time I ever voted was the first time my mom had ever voted. Oh, my God. Hey, yep. good for you. Get yep. her there. Well, I don't know if it was because of me, but it was something that we did together and um, as I've gotten older, I've realized, uh, how insane it is that like how many elections that she didn't vote in. Oh yeah. I mean, I was such a like nerd geek that I voted in the very first election I could, which was like city council. <laughs> like Aww. I knew none of them. I had no idea about the bigger picture. I don't even think I fully understood what political parties were, but I was going to use my right to vote. Exactly. I mean, think of how many people fought, how many people came before us. I mean, we just celebrated the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, where some women got the right to vote, not all of them. Women of color did not gain that right until the Voting Rights Act. But it's, I mean, you start to look at all the women, the the suffrage movement, the women's suffrage movement was like 75 plus years in the making. It was a long fight. So let's not stifle that, you know, let's, let's exercise that right. Use that right. Seriously. I think the other takeaway, you know, given this conversation we just had about how kind of the political outcomes impact philanthropy, if the right thing happens in November, don't pull back your funding because there is still a lot of wrongs that have to be righted and our nonprofits are the ones on the ground doing that. So Start planning now because you're going to want to be giving and giving as much as you possibly can in November and December. Yep. Yep. Well, I was going to ask what our takeaways are, but I think that's one of the best takeaways. Yeah. Right there. Is mm-hmm. there anything else? Uh, campaign finance reform. We should not be spending billions of dollars on financing these fucking campaigns. Billions. Billions. It's mind-blowing. But I I don't know that we or our listeners really can impact that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it starts with one, right? Yep. (laughs) All right. Well, how can people get in touch with us? Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Make sure you email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. If uh, we really piss you off this week, please email us. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, share it all. And um, just like Nia was saying, If you have the capacity right now, don't forget to support your local nonprofits. Even if you're giving a lot of money politically right now, don't forget to support your nonprofits. Please give and give generously. Thanks, everybody. 
We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.